0: Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. This is the Apostle Paul writing the church at Thessalonica. It is a church he has founded. Uh, He is no longer with them, but he is closely connected to them. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you, And who have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. It is great to see everybody here, and we had a a really good crowd at the 830 service. And it just reminds me or lifts me even further to say that I'm about as excited for our church this fall as I have been. We have completed four years of seeking to expand our ministry to include a pastor leading every aspect of our church's life. Worship, mission and pastoral care, youth and young adult ministry, and Christian formation for children, youth, and adults. When Jacob Bolton begins his ministry with us October the 6th, all the pieces and people will be in place toward which we have labored for a considerable period of time. Our membership continues to grow slightly, to be sure, but counter to what is going on in churches and religious institutions of virtually all stripes in America. The financial resources that you have provided through giving and pledging through gifts and bequests to our endowment and the hours of behind the scenes management and tracking of over $2 million a year of income and now $4 million of foundation monies have enabled us to fund our ministries that we carry out within this building and to expand what we do around the world in the places many of you have heard of before and some of you have been to. The Spirit Lake Indian Reservation in North Dakota, the United Orphanage and Academy in Moyes Bridge, Kenya, as well as through dozens of agencies and ministries in Alexandria and Arlington to which many of you give volunteer time, and through mission trips and outings involving youth and adults in Arkansas and Appalachia and places around the world, many of which have been hit with the kind of disasters that we have seen strike once again this week. Our youth ministry is diversifying and reaching youth and families where they are. Just this summer, eight Westminster parents read a book entitled Raising White Kids, Bringing Up Children in a Racially Unjust America. And they met with Whitney exploring its title and its subject. Others joined in reading the book as well. Such in-depth conversations are as significant as middle schoolers meeting together each week to sample taco recipes from every taco restaurant in Alexandria (laughs) on what are affectionately known as Taco Tuesdays. And no, you can't go. (laughs) Y'all are busy on Thursdays. The music ministry of our church has increased dramatically the joy its leaders and vocalists and instrumentalists and ringers and children and youth provide to and beyond our worship, making it a haven for us in a world that often seems harsh and heartless. And though we had email problems this week, like virtually every institution does, one email came through to me yesterday, I believe, from member Janet Harris. Thanks again for your fantastic announcement for tables at 8 last Sunday. I've never had an announcement called fantastic. (laughs) It worked miracles either Sunday at Lemonade or the Lawn, or later this week via email, there were seven new people who signed up. Two others new had already signed up from the bulletin the week before. So now we have nine new people for tables for eight. That is a huge improvement over recent years. In addition to all this, I am personally pleased to have offered In addition to the Sunday afternoon New Testament Biblical Survey, I was continuing an Old Testament survey on Wednesday mornings. When we offer this, I never know how many or if anybody's going to sign up. When we begin the classes this week, we'll have 52 people on Sunday evening and 37 on Wednesday morning, including 15 people who are from the community from other churches, friends of people who are coming, two people, I believe, who are Jewish, two or three who are agnostic, probably three or four that just wander in off the streets. (laughs) We're even putting a fresh coat of paint and sprucing up a room downstairs we have drafted for this Wednesday class. Toward the middle of the summer this year, I came to realize that with the four years of staff retirements and moves and searches, that I had become about as tired as I can recall being in the ministry. The surprising death of my mom in May added the weight of grief to the weight of fatigue. But our vacation happened to be perfectly timed. We had just finalized the offer with Jacob. And so coming back from vacation, I have been as renewed by the congregation's enthusiasm as I was when I first was called to this pulpit 15 years ago. And my spirits are as bright as the new marquee and lighting on the front lawn, as the new parking lot signs in the parking lot, as the freshly polished brass rail in the hallway to the chapel and the parlor. You've got to check it out sometime. (laughs) And soon we'll have a bright new hospitable entrance to what is probably the most used space in the building, Fellowship Hall. Earlier this summer I read a book which quotes George Orwell, who in the time of violence and chaos in the middle of the 20th century wrote, Restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent people. It struck me, it struck me that as we kick kick off our program year this fall, I want to build on the sermons I preached last fall, both of which falls, both of which series, could be labeled the restatement of the obvious. I want us to examine another series of questions this fall. Why worship? Why learn? Why mission? Why community? Why organized religion? Why involvement? Why giving? I hope that while I will be restating the obvious, I will restate it in ways that remind us of who we are and why we are here in this congregation of God's people. I want to begin with why worship. Why attend church Sunday morning, virtually every Sunday of the year? Why sing hymns, listen to anthems, speak to God to confess our sins, reflect on our lives? Ask God's forgiveness or help or intervention or comfort or understanding. Why listen to announcements? Sign in on the blue fellowship pads. pass an offering plate. Why listen to the reading from an ancient book and then to a sermon based on what's been read? And some Sundays, why partake of bread and wine? Why smile as children come from four corners of the sanctuary for a sermon that's geared for them? Why smile even more warmly when an infant infant is carried down the aisle dressed for baptism, the white gown in contrast to the black robe against which he or she is held? Why greet and be greeted by people we may know well We may know slightly or we may not know at all why worship. I have a twofold answer to this question among the many answers that are found in the brief passage I read today, any of which could be drawn on for emphasis. These answers come from the oldest known Christian writing. Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. It was written about the year 51, 17 or so years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Paul had founded the church at Thessalonica. He had left it for another city. He had heard that trouble had erupted in the Thessalonian congregation. He sent Timothy to check it out and was Surprised to receive a good report from Timothy about the life of the congregation. In response, Paul writes a positive letter praising the Thessalonians for sticking with their faith. Even though Christ had not yet returned as they were expecting, and even though they lived as a minority in an empire which worshipped the Roman emperor, and the power of the state and in which concerns they had over the possibility of persecution were not grounded in paranoia or conspiracy mongering. When Paul writes the Thessalonians, he knows they will read this letter as they gather for worship in a home large enough to accommodate the 40 or so people who will arrive, a home possibly the same size as but not as ornate as our parlor. Paul restates the obvious to the people he loves as a pastor. The first thing that Paul writes the Thessalonians is rejoice. Rejoice. Worship because you know joy. Let your worship draw out the joy that is within you and let your worship lead you to express that joy. Rejoice. You've probably heard people say, if not said yourself, the reason I come to church is that it makes me feel better. Often this statement is accompanied with statements like, I feel peaceful. I'm able to tune all the noise of the world out for an hour. It helps my week go better. It helps me focus on what I'm supposed to be doing, on how I'm supposed to be living. It makes me feel grounded, in touch with God, in touch with myself. One of the earliest short stories Chekhov wrote was entitled, Joy. In it, a young man who lives with his parents and sibling in a drab and cramped 19th century Moscow apartment bursts into the apartment one day filled with exuberant joy because his name has appeared in the newspaper. He has received attention. He is famous. He has arrived. He is somebody. But it turns out that his name has appeared in the paper because he was involved in a carriage accident the night before while intoxicated. With sly Chekhovian humor, we as readers are led to ask ourselves, what is it that we think will bring us joy, but which doesn't? What is it that truly brings us joy? Theologian Paul Tillich wrote, Joy is nothing else than the awareness of our being fulfilled in our true being, in our personal center. It is reality that gives joy, he says, and reality alone. The Bible so often speaks of joy because it is the most realistic Of all books. So, till it continues, rejoice. That means penetrate from what seems to be real to that which is really real. That is the meaning of joy. In the mid 1980s, an elder in the church I was serving in Houston was a Ph.D. chemist in his late 20s or early 30s, which is what my age was at the time. He worked at the Shell Research Labs, which were in the general part of town in which the church was located. He was a diligent elder, and he was simply one of the nicest people I have ever known. One Sunday, while he was picking up bulletins after the worship service, he came over with sort of a childlike look of wonder on his face. It was after I'd preached a stewardship sermon and he said, my favorite television show is Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Now for those of you who weren't born in the early 1980s, <laughs> Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous was one of the first reality TV programs and well, the title is self-explanatory. But he then said, I realize that that is not what life is all about. That's not what gives joy. Joy is being here in touch with God, in touch with who I really am. To the Thessalonians, crowded in their living living room, with drapes drawn in respite, Perhaps in hiding from the emperor who claims to be all and know all, Paul writes, Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, a second concept worth lifting up from Paul's letter concerning why worship is this character. We worship. Because it strengthens our character. Following his call to rejoice, Paul exhorts the Thessalonians, Do not despise the words of the prophet, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil. Worship builds character. Now, I know that the building of character, or the vocabulary of character, is about as old-fashioned as reading a Jane Austen novel or reminiscing about the days that the University of Chicago won a national championship in football. They really did, 1905. Look it up. But no matter how old-fashioned character building may seem, it is still the task of the human creature, especially those of us who believe or seek to believe in God, to hold character up as one of the two or three most crucial aspects of what it means to be human. Character is simply having the judgment, the discipline, and the strength to hold fast to what is good and to abstain from every evil. It means saying yes to this and no to this. And it is easier to cultivate character when we have come to know, through the joy of worship, even if in a mirror darkly, who we are and who God is. The Roman poet Juvenal, writing about 50 years after Paul, satirized the corruption of the Roman citizenry and their worship of the emperor. He criticized the common people, who once upon a time had participated in the politics and life of the local community, but who now had come to allow themselves to be happy and docile by a steady diet of trivializing entertainment. We have abdicated our duties, Juvenal wrote. People who once upon a time handed out military command, high civil offices, legions, now restrain ourselves. And we hope for just two things, bread and circuses. It sounds chilling. My friends, we can do better than bread and circuses. Better than pizza on the sofa with eyes glued to the screen that is in the palm of our hand or that is spread across the largest wall in our house from sea to shining sea. Even though I did watch a little bit of football last night. (laughs) Kept switching, see if I could find one of my teens that was winning and none of them were. Right, Ole Miss fans? Character doesn't grow. From bread and circuses. It doesn't grow from lifestyles of the rich and famous. It doesn't even grow from lifestyles of the unrich and unfamous. Among other places, character comes from being here in worship Sunday after Sunday. Character comes from worship. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Yes to this. No to that. Joy and character. That is why we worship. Amen.